0: When I look at my life and what I've been given, my family and friends, all the blessings from heaven, the Father above has lovingly showered on me. I feel so undeserving to think of his goodness and wonderful mercy. My heart fills with praise and I can't help but joyfully sing. I
1: I have God.
0: it's not that this road has always been easy but he's been faithful and he'll never leave me i find sweet peace and assurance within his word my cup's overflowing i'm living in favor abundant provision from the hand of the savior i lift my voice and forever I'll praise his
1: name I God
0: How excellent is
2: your name in all the earth. I see what you created
0: We're back there at the first and say, how excellent is your name in all say, how excellent is your name in all the earth.
2: I wonder what would cause you to put us in your plan. I say, how excellent is your name in all the earth. When I survey my blessings. I say, how excellent is your name in all the earth. I give you all my worship. I give you all my praise. I say, how excellent is your name in all the on David. Well, around about to a certain degree again this morning. I hope that that has been a help thus far. I didn't finish up on Wednesday night, and I may be back there tonight or this coming Wednesday. I don't know, but I, I, want, I feel like the Lord's going to allow us to finish what we started on Wednesday night. And uh, But this e- or this morning, we're looking at 2 Samuel chapter number 14. Uh, here in the Scripture, we're going to be talking a little bit about and preaching a little bit about Absalom and uh, some of the things that were going on in his life, and of course David and Joab. There'll be several characters that are going to be on display here in Second Samuel chapter fourteen. I'm going to read a lot of scripture, but I really got two verses I want to get to. And most of you that know me, it may take me a while to get to those two verses. But there's a lot of wealth of information in here. Again, These some of these messages, if you get in here into the historical accounts of the Bible, there's a lot of teaching involved, but a lot of that is important to the child of God. We need that. And even if we've read it, it, it refreshes us to go back over and look at some things because there's many principles that we can learn from the Old Testament that we can apply to our heart and our life even today. But i got a couple of verses I really want to get to. We're going to be read basically the whole chapter. I'm not going to ask you to stay in 2 Samuel, chapter number... Uh, 14, we're going to begin reading, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and get this over because it's hot, son, up here. And those of you in the choir, you know what it is up here, just elevated a little bit with heat. But 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse number 1, the Bible said this, Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was toward Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa, and fetched thence a wise woman, and said unto her, I pray thee, feign thyself to be a mourner. And put on now mourning apparel, and anoint not thyself with oil, but be as a woman that had a long time mourn for the dead. Now if you go back to chapter number 13, keep in mind I'll sort of back up just a little bit. Absalom has has had his brother Amnon slain because he violated his sister Tamar. And as a result of that he was killed and, and Absalom has fled. And he went to Geshur, where his grandparents were, about 80 miles from Jerusalem. And he's been gone there for quite some three years, as a matter of fact. And Joab is David's military leader. Now, Joab really wanted Absalom to come back because Amnon was heir to the throne. He was the one that was supposed to stand on the throne when David was removed. So, as any good military leader would know, Joab basically feared something happened to David then who's going to be next to to fall in line for king? So Joab was concerned about Absalom. He is ran because he has indirectly killed his own brother. He's fled. He's been gone for three years. And Joab wants him back there in Jerusalem because when David to comes off the scene, Joab wants to make sure there's a king that's ready to be ushered in right then. So he goes and he gets this woman, this wise woman described from Tekoa, uh, to come in and basically he's putting the words in her mouth what to say unto King David. No doubt in my mind, Joab numerous times has, has presented himself before King David and lets him know his desires and his reasoning for bringing Absalom back. And I believe we can gather that by the time we get to the account in 2 Samuel chapter number 14 because David realized, hey, this sounds like the words of Joab we'll read about in a moment. So he goes to this woman in Tekoa. She comes and he's telling her to go unto King David and to say some things. Notice Verse number 3, Joab said, And come to the king, and speak on this manner unto him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. You know what this woman was, Brother Travis, all she was was an actress. She was acting on behalf of uh, Joab, because he's put the words in her mouth. Verse 4, And when the woman of Tekoa spake to the king, she fell on her face to the ground, and did obeisance, and said, Help, O king. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, I am indeed a widow woman, and mine husband is dead. And thy handmaid had two sons, and they two strove together in the field. And there was none to part them, but the one smote the other and slew him. So here's this lady. She comes on the scene. Joab's put her up to it. He's rehearsed the words in her ears, what she's supposed to say. And Joab is trying to get... David's attention about Absalom being gone for three years. So she comes and she presents this story about her two sons uh, that that were in the field together and one rose up against the other. Well, it's a great parallel to what happened with Absalom and Amnon because he had his brother killed. So she goes on with the account of verse number 7. And behold, the whole family is risen against thine handmaid, and they said, Deliver him that smote his brother, that we may kill him for the life of his brother whom he slew, and we will destroy the heir also. And so they shall quench my coal, which is left, and shall not leave to my husband neither name nor remainder upon the earth. So according to this story that Joab story, listen, the heir to the throne is the only one that's left. If something happens to him, the name is not going to continue on. Look at verse 8. And the king said unto the woman, Go to thine house, and I will give charge concerning thee. Basically, David is putting her off. He didn't give her an answer, but notice she was persistent in verse number 9. And the woman of Tekoa said unto the king, My lord, O king, the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. So basically what she's saying is, listen, whatever decision you make, nobody's going to hold that against you. She said, I take full responsibility. She wanted him to make a decision. Look in verse Number 10. And the king said, Whosoever saith aught unto thee, Bring him to me, and he shall not touch thee any more. Then said she, I pray thee, let the king remember the Lord thy God, that thou wouldest not suffer the revengers of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. Now watch the the last part of verse 11. And he said that he is David. And he said, As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of thy son fall to the earth. What she did, she basically made David make an oath, before God. And that's what he did. So she's going to hold him to it. Now keep in mind, she becomes this story, a fabricated story that is not real. But she's rehearsed what Joab has said about her two sons. And David makes an oath to protect this one, the remain. Listen, here it is. He made an oath to protect the heir that he didn't even know. But yet his heir has been three years departed, 80 miles away in Geshur. So Joab has done basically what he wants to do, get David trapped with his words. Now notice verse 12, Then the woman said, Let thy handmaid, I pray thee, speak one word unto my lord the king. He said, Say on. And the woman said, Wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the king doth speak this thing as one which is faulty, in that the king doth not fetch home again his banished. So she, co- she turns right around and said, Hey, you know, you've judged on this, and your son has been banished. He's three years up there in Gesher. Verse 14, For we must needs die. And boy, that's a fact too. Death's on all of our trail. We're not going to escape it. Notice what she said, And there is water spilt on the ground. When water is spilt on the ground you can't gather that back up man it's gone. And that's the way our life is by the way. James 4 and verse 14 asks the question whereas we don't know what shall be on the For What is your life it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Man Christian and I we went. It's hard to believe we got a 20 year old son by the way but he's 20 years old. Hard to believe. Can't believe that. 20 years old yesterday we went to Wilkesboro to eat man I brother Kevin I got one of those big old ribeyes they brought that dude out and the steam just coming up. But about the time I seen it, that steam was gone. The Bible said that's how our life is. Hey man, we must. Knees down. We're going to be like water Spilt on the ground You can't collect it back up again You're going to do anything for God You better do it Hey by the way If you ain't saved by the marvelous grace of God The Bible said today Is the day of salvation Now is the accepted time You better quit kicking that can down the road honey You ought to give your heart and life To the Lord Jesus Christ Apart from Jesus You're doomed You're damned to a place called hell But all that can be avoided today By simply turning from your sin Unto the Savior But understand we must needs die. We're going to be like water spilt on the ground. You can't gather it back up again. We got one life to live, and boy, you better make it count for God, because one day we're gonna meet Him. All the excuses gonna be gone. We can't make excuses on that day when we stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So she goes on to say, "Hey, we we must needs die." Verse fourteen, and there's water spilt on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person; yet doth He devise means that is banished be not expelled from Him. Boy, thank God, God made a way for you and I many years ago by way of application when Jesus. Christ went up Calvary's hill and there he mounted his he hung between heaven and earth. And it wasn't I want to remind you one more time. It wasn't the nails that held him on that cross. It was his love for me, his love for you, his love for the whole world. He went and gave his life willingly. He didn't die for his sin. He died for my sin, your sin, the sin of the whole world, and God made a way. that Yeah, one way one day we're gonna die, and this gonna be like water spilt on the ground. But God made a way. We were one. Once at one time alienated from God we were enemies to the Lord Jesus Christ but thank God for that sacrifice it breeds the gap of doom to destiny in a place called heaven for those according to Romans 10 13 for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord that is the key that's the antidote for him that's the remedy for the lost man and the lost woman that's on that broad road that leads to destruction thank God there's an answer and his name is Jesus God made a way don't Don't you ever think that God ain't merciful. Don't you ever think that God ain't graceful because he is. Don't ever feel like that God can't forgive. Because, friend, I can tell you this. Regardless of what you've done, based on his sacrifice, you don't have to keep repeating that sacrifice. Once and for all, Jesus made that ultimate sacrifice so we could be forgiven of sin. He made a way. And he's talking about that there by way of application. verse four. But look at verse 15. Now, therefore, that I am come to speak of this thing unto my Lord the King, it is because the people have made me afraid, and thy handmaid said, I will now speak unto the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his handmaid, for the king will hear to deliver his handmaid out of the hand of the man that would destroy me and my son together out of the inheritance of God. Then thine handmaid said, The word of the Lord the king shall now be comfortable. For as an angel of God, so is my Lord the king, to discern good and bad. Therefore the Lord thy God will be with thee. Then, Look at verse 18. Then the king answered and said unto the woman, Hide not from me, I pray thee, the thing that I should, shall ask thee. And the woman said, Let my Lord the king now speak. Now, she, David, get this picture. David has... Just heard this account of this woman, this came. We know by the account that Joab fabricated this story to come about these two sons and wanted to turn it around on David concerning Absalom. Now, David has listened to that, and he's discerned that man, you know this, because I believe Joab numerous times has tried his best to get David to do something about Absalom. But look at verse 19. And the king said, Is not the hand of Joab with thee in all this? And the woman answered and said, As thy soul liveth, my lord the king, none can turn to the right hand or to the left from aught that my lord the king hath spoken. For thy servant Joab, he bade me, and he put all these words in the mouth of thine handmaid to fetch about this form of speech. Hath thy servant Joab done this thing? And my lord is wise according to the wisdom of an angel of God to know all things that are in the earth. And the king said unto Joab, Behold now... I have done this thing. Go therefore, bring the young man Absalom again. Now David evidently, and I believe Joab knew this, Joab knew when Nathan came unto David in 2 Samuel chapter number 12, Nathan got to David through a story. So Joab understood that, so he gets this woman to go and to present the story, and, and here too it got to David because he tells Joab to go bring the young man Absalom again. Again he's in Jeshur about 80 miles away at his grandparents because he's up there with Talmai, king of Geshur, who was the father of his mother and Tamar's mother Makah. and understand verse 22 and Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king and Joab said today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my Lord, O king, in that the king hath fulfilled the request of his servants. So Joab arose and went to Gesher and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. Now according to the word of God, we'll go back and look in just a moment, he's been exiled, he's ran, he's been in Gesher for three years. So Joab goes and gets him. But look at verse 24. And the king said, let him turn to his own house, And let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. Basically what David was doing, he's putting... Absalom on house arrest he's been gone brother Howard for three years but when he comes back David said I don't want to see his face I still believe there was some bitterness and probably some resentment going on there in the heart of David because his firstborn had been slain by Absalom he said yeah he can come home just tell him to stay in his own house I don't want to see his face well how long did that go on well let's read on notice in verse number 25 but in all Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty from the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he pulled his head, in other words, when he cut his hair, for it was at every year's end that he pulled it, because the hair was heavy on him, therefore he pulled it. He weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. And unto Absalom there were born three sons and one daughter, whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of a fair countenance. So, here it is, so Absalom dwelt... Two full years at Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Now let's pray. Father. As we bow in your presence, God, again this morning, we love you. Thank you again for the opportunity, Lord, just to pray. Thank you for your word. Now, God, may you honor it. May you bless it. I pray that uh, your word would fall on good fertile soil today. God, I confess I'm nothing. You're everything. Pray that all the will of God be accomplished right now. Save that sinner nearest hell. Help the saint of God do do a work, God, this morning that only you can do. We'll be careful to give you thanks and praise for everything done. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. We've read this text here out of a lengthy text, and we're not done. But I got a couple of verses I really want to get to. But keep in mind what's going on according to the Word of God in 2 Samuel thirteen and verse number thirty-eight. After Amnon has been killed indirectly by the plotting of Absalom, the Bible said in 2 Samuel thirteen and verse thirty-eight. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. So he's gone. Three years. Then this account of chapter 14 we've just read about comes in. So Joab goes and gets Absalom, brings him back to Jerusalem. And there, of course, he's not to see the king's face. Well, how long was he there? The Bible just told us, 2 Samuel 14 and verse number 28. So Absalom dwelt two full years at Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Now listen, that's simple mathematics. Three plus two, you ain't going to get nothing else but five. For five years, He's not seen his father. For five years the father David has not seen his son Absalom because of this seed. You can trace it all the way back, friend, to 2 Samuel chapter number 12 and verse number 10. When Nathan pronounced judgment on David because of his sin, he said the sword shall never depart out of your house. And it didn't. The account of Tamar, the account of Amnon, the account chapter 18 of Absalom. Then you go into 1 Kings chapter number 1. It talks about Adonijah, those three sons and of course the baby that died in 2 Samuel chapter number 12 according to the word of God it can all be traced back to David's sin part of that curse, part of that judgment yes David was forgiven of his sin thank God but there was consequences to his action boy sin friend you better mark this down man it's got a price tag on it that you ain't going to want to pay you can't even pay it I can't even fathom in my mind the heartache and the regretting and the regrets of David David, for that time in 2 Samuel 11, verse number 1, when he looked and he lusted and he lingered after Bathsheba, and then he had to have her, and he did, and he paid the price of regretfulness, remorse over his sin. But the penalty was pronounced upon for five years, he hadn't seen his son. I think about Absalom. Absalom, you can think about the similarities. Uh, sometimes I'll do that with cross references of different things. Think about the similarities by way of introduction of Absalom and even Samson. We know this both were, both Samson and both Absalom were distinguished by their hair. Man, I ain't got that problem, but them two boys did. Samson and a- Absalom had this, because in Judges 13, and verse number 5, the Bible said, For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite. Now the Nazarite vows were laid out. In Numbers chapter number 6, there were several things that they couldn't do. They couldn't drink from the fruit of the vine. They couldn't cut their hair. They couldn't uh, uh, eat all off the vine tree. And they couldn't come near any dead body. And you look at all that. Samson broke every one of them, by the way. But that was what uh, he was supposed to do. And, and you think about that, Judges thirteen five. What that is, the angel of the Lord had came to Manoah. Manoah's wife which was the, the mom and dad of Samson and the angel of the Lord said unto her this thou shalt conceive and bear a son no razor shall come on his head for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, Numbers chapter 6, the first eight verses, lays out what what is required of the Nazarite vow. But one was, they were to be distinguished by their hair. You'll find in a little bit that, that Samson had seven locks of hair that were shaven off. Well, what about Absalom? Well, the Word of God we just read right here in 2 Samuel 14, verse 26, talking about his hair. It was pulled every year. It was cut. And the Bible said because the hair was heavy on him, and it talks about those, uh, what is it, 200 shekels, there of the king's weight. Most commentaries believe that that's somewhere between three to five pounds of hair per year. So these boys, Samson and, and also Absom, were distinguished by their hair. Not only that, both Samson and Absalom had some fields set on fire. Now I remember old Jerry over at. Uh, glory light, he ain't never forgot that message. I preached at the Winter Challenge one time when God sets your tail on fire. And he told me, he said, man, I ain't never forgot that message. I don't guess I've ever preached it again. But notice the Judges 15, verse 4 and 5 in reference to Samson. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes, which was a miracle in itself, catching those, and took firebrands and turned tail to tail and put a firebrand in the midst between the two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burn up both the shocks and also the standing corn and with the vineyards and olives. So basically the two main... Uh, things that the Philistines needed, those vineyards and their crops were destroyed by fire. So Samson burnt some fields, but also Absalom did. Absalom has dwelt two full years there at Jerusalem. He's told he can't see the king's face. Well, notice in your Bible in 2 King or Second Samuel 14 in verse 29. We didn't read this, but watch it. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to have him or have sent him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. Therefore, he said unto his servant, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he hath barley there, go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house and said unto him, Wherefore have thy servants set my field on fire? Now, boy, there's a good, important uh, thing that you can look at right there. Absalom summoned Joab, asked him to come one time, he didn't come. Asked him to come the second time, and he wouldn't come. So, what Absalom did, he said, Man, I got to get Joab's attention. So, what he did, he set on fire something that was real, real dear unto Joab. And boy, it didn't take long. Joab came to where Absalom was. Boy, there's the important part right there, too, friend. You better get it. You might be here today, and you might be lost undone without God. Here's what God will do. God will call you. Thank God the grace of God has appeared to every man. Every person is going to get that opportunity and God may knock on your door and you may reject it and you may say no. And listen, He may come again the second time and may knock on your door. And then sometimes He might just have to set something on fire that's real close to you, real dear to you to try to get your attention. Listen friend, God will be just in doing that because in Him we live. We move. We have our be. My decisions ain't all always right but his decisions are always right it'll all be just, be justified and there'll come a time when you'll say no to God for the last time as a sinner today may be that opportunity for you to get saved you may not have tomorrow you may not have next week God may be knocking on your heart store say hey buddy hey young lady you need to get saved you need to give your heart and life to Jesus God will knock God will knock and sometimes he'll set a field on fire to try to get your attention and even as a child of God Oh yeah, God may tell you to do something you don't do it. Boy, the most dangerous or, or the most miserable person is not the lost sinner out on the street. It's a child of God, out of God's will. Right. Yeah, man. God'll make you miserable. And if you're if you're not obedient, if you don't listen to what God said, do. Sometimes he'll get our attention. He'll do it. Sometimes he can do it physically. Sometimes he can do it relationally. Sometimes he can do it financially. There's so many ways that God can set our fields on fire, those things that are dear to us, to get our attention. That's what Absalom did. Well, notice in the Word of God, we know that Absalom set these fields on fire. But look at verse 32. And Absalom answered, Joab, Behold, I send unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king, to say, Wherefore am I come from Geshur? It had been good for me to have still, have been there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. So basically what Absalom said is this. I've been in Jerusalem two years. He's, I was in Gesher with my grandparents. Eighty miles away from here, I was free. For three years, but I couldn't come to Jerusalem. Now, I'm in Jerusalem. I'm under house arrest. He said, I'd be better off back up in Geshur. He said, go unto the king. Well, verse number 33, so Joab came to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. So five years. You take from chapter 13, verse 38, he is in Geshur for three years. Look at verse number 28 of our chapter, 2 Samuel 14, two full years. He's been on house arrest of five years, Brother Wayne. Last time he's seen Absalom. Now they're finally reunited. Now I say all that to say this. The thing that's really got my heart is found in verse number 25. You know the account, if you go back and you look chapter number 13, Absalom has plotted and had his brother killed. He's been gone for three years. Now he comes back, and although he's on house arrest, the word has gotten out that, hey, the heir now, the heir apparent, Absalom, has come back home 80 miles from Gesher. He's back here in town. Well, notice how the people received him in verse 25. But in all Israel, there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. When he pulled his head, again, that's cutting it, for it was at every year's end that he pulled it because the hair was heavy on him. Therefore, he pulled it and he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. Again, most believe somewhere between three and five pounds after a year of growth. But here is what I... Has really got my attention, verse twenty-five. But in all Israel, there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. I'd start start by saying this: There's a lesson that we should all learn, and I've hit it numerous times. We've hit it not that long ago. First Samuel chapter sixteen, verse number seven. We better not forget this principle that God laid out in reference unto David. And, and of course, God was talking to Samuel. First Samuel sixteen seven said, "For the Lord seeth not as man seeth." For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. We better not forget that that measurement. Man does look on the outward appearance, and whether you like it or not, we all pass judgment. Amen, we do that. But God looks on the heart. See, we, we we can see on the exterior, but we don't have x-ray vision. Listen, I've met some of those folks that we label as the church police. I, I mean, they feel like they got x-ray vision, but I, I think they just like to look at others because it makes them feel better about their own faults. Amen. But we ain't got x-ray vision. You can see on the exterior. You can't see on the interior. But, buddy, God can. God sure can. And there's a standard that's there. David went from obscurity in chapter 16 when Samuel came to, God said, You go to Jesse's house, and I'm going to anoint the next king of Israel. David was so insignificant that he wasn't even called, he was in obscurity. Nobody knew about David. In chapter number 16, so he was in obscurity. But chapter 17, man, he went from obscurity to celebrity when he stood before that giant in the valley of Elah. And he had God on him and God in him. And he conquered the giant that was in front of him with the hand of God. Now he has become a celebrity. But in the beginning, David was overlooked. Probably due to his age, to his social standing. The shepherds were despised in that day. They would have smelt of the field, so he was not a fan favorite early on. We would consider him as the underdog, less likely or the most uh, likely to not succeed. That would have been a picture of David. He was in obscurity, but Absalom. We think about him. Absalom was basically plotted and ultimately killed his brother indirectly. Yet the people praised praised him and adored him, and his lack of care. If you was to look at Absalom, Absalom wouldn't be considered as the underdog. They'd say, man, that's the the betting odd. That's the betting favorite right there. That's Absalom. Why? Because of his status, because of his wealth, and because of his good looks. That's how he was gauged upon. Well, preacher, where are you going with all this? The Bible said there in verse 25, that all Israel, there was nobody else in Israel that received the praise that Absalom received. He's been gone for three years, Brother Randy. He comes back and what he's, everybody knows that he plotted and indirectly had Amnon killed. But when he comes back, the lack of character was stowed out the window. And I'm going somewhere with that now. The lack of character was thrown out. He wouldn't judge. He wouldn't looked at because of his character. He was praised for his beauty, his good looks. For his status, he's the heir apparent unto the throne. He's next in line. He was the thirdborn according to 2 Samuel 3, verse number 3. But evidently, the second born has died at this point. He's next in line to be heir to the throne. So his status is there. He's got his own house. He's got all the resources, being a king's kid. He's the heir to the throne. So he's gazed on his status, his wealth, and his good looks. And the people passed judgment, and they admired him, and they envied him. And there's a good lesson in here that I believe you and I need to learn. Because there ain't much change today. They ain't many things much different than they are today. A lot of times people look at what they see. A lot of folks want that status. A lot of folks want that wealth. A lot of folks want that, that that those good looks. I mean, that's what's appealing. That's what folks gauge people on. And I think about this. You know how a hero is defined? Now, listen, a hero is a person who is admired for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. Absalom has been banished for three years. He comes back. He doesn't get rebuke. He gets praised. And he's admired, and he's loved, and... I think about this, what should matter to people today? Let's put it to our time, by way of application, what should matter to us today? What is our gauge? What should be our gauge? What appeals to us and our generation, and what should appeal to us and our generation? Is status what trips your trigger? Is wealth what trips your trigger? Is good looks, is that what trips your trigger? That's basically what they did when they looked at Absalom. They sure didn't look at his character. They didn't look at his character. And nowadays, character sort of thrown out the window. It's more, I guess, than it's ever been. Even in the Bible Belt of America, just live as you please. Do whatever you want to do. It really don't matter. Well, I'm here to tell you this more, that it does matter. Character does matter. There's something a whole lot more than just a status symbol, than a wealth symbol, and good looks and beauty, friend. There's a whole lot more than that. Absalom was praised. This is worth hitting right here, too we got to be careful. We've got to be careful about this stuff, about praising ourselves. Amen. God don't like that. Proverbs 27, verse number 2. The Bible said, let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. A stranger and not thine own lips. You know, arrogance and self-praise is the only disease that makes everybody sick except the person that has it. And everybody get that? Arrogance and pride and and self-praise is the only thing that makes everybody sick except the person that's got it or <laughs> well, that has it. Well, we ought to chew on that. I'll not praise ourselves. If if anything happens at all, all the praise and honor goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have nothing to boast about. We can trace our ancestry back to dirt. If we'd be in hell, not for the grace of God, God help us in this department, not to pray for ourselves. Now if somebody else praises you, whatever. But don't praise yourself. Oh, Absalom, we find here where the people were praising him for his his status, for his wealth, for his good looks. You know, there's some things. What should be our gauge today? What about righteousness? I'm going to give you just a few right here, and we're going to be done. How should we, what what should we gauge? Should you wage or gauge folks on on their status, on their wealth, on their beauty? I'm here to tell you, I believe we ought to gauge folks on righteousness. Amen. Amen. Proverbs fourteen and verse thirty four said, "Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people." When it comes to our words, our actions, our behavior, our appearance, our attitude, etc., listen—that's that—that's what should be our gauge. Righteous—you know what righteousness is? It basically means equitable in character or act. In other words, it needs to be means to be fair and in partial it has to do with righteousness the Bible said this Hebrews 12 verse 14 follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord you go read your Bible in Isaiah chapter number 5 and I believe it's verse number 20 or somewhere thereabout. about the Bible said there'll come a day when they call evil good and good evil everybody get that? God said it'd be a day foretelling in the Old Testament Isaiah 5 when they'll call what is evil good, and they'll call what is good evil. And now you may be considered even as weird or abnormal. Listen, to be, to be weird and abnormal, if you call what's going on in our society normal, I just seem to be abnormal and weird. Right. To live a life of righteousness. To listen. We're going to, that' doesn't mean, and that's not like to be able to, to smoke, sit back and say, "Yeah, here I am." And, and man, it's all about me. no, 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 no. We, we're to let our light shine in this lost and dying world so that they can see Jesus in us. Amen. But if we're going to do that, our words better line up. Our actions better, our behavior, our attitude, our appearance, everything ought to be pointed toward righteousness. That ought to be our gauge. That ought to be something that we look to. Now listen, you can't get away from 1 Samuel 16, 7, The Lord looks on the heart, that's right. But man looks on the outward appearance and passes judgment. They're praising Absalom because of his status, his wealth, and his good looks. They certainly ain't praised him because uh, of his of his actions or his character. That's been thrown out the window. But you and I, what should be our gift? It should be righteous. I tell you this: those of you that are dating, you ought you ought to check them out. Yeah, man. I don't need to. I ain't got time to preach that this morning. You go back, man. You you better you better check their spirit. You better check their scripture. You better check their stitches. What's that man? How they dress. Amen. You better do that. You better check their sweetness. Who wants to roll over the next morning to an old sire Amen. You better check all that off. Righteousness better. be a t- Don't look at their status. Don't look at their wealth. Don't look just at their good looks. Amen. Don't do that. You better gauge some righteousness. And, and that'll be, I believe it'll be evident in their actions, in their behavior, in their attitude, in their appearance. All those things. But righteousness is important. What about this? What about truthfulness? That ought to be a gauge. I mean, ain't nothing for people to tell lies today, which it's always been. It's not like it's worse. I mean, it's always been sin. But think about truthfulness. It's something Righteousness is needed today. Also, Truthfulness is needed today. Third John, chapter, or there's only one chapter in 3 John, verse 3 and 4. John said, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. Now, when you're walking, that is action. That means actively. They were actively involved in truth. What's the opposite of truth? It's error. Truthfulness is needed today, and that's something we ought to gauge on. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Truth is something we need. Now, when it comes to truthfulness, Brother Harold, when it comes to the truth, you and I don't need to add to it. And we don't need to take away from it. And we don't need to embellish things. Truthfulness is needed. It's a part of our character. Amen. Amen. It is. So righteousness, truthfulness, we ain't done. Watch this now. What about what about peacefulness? Peacefulness ought to be something that we look for and and strive to attain in our own life. Yeah, I want to live a righteous life that pleases God. I want my light to shine. And in order for that to happen, according to Hebrews 12, he said, man, we've got to have that holiness, that righteousness in our life if we want to please Him. I want to be righteous. I want to be truthful. I don't want to add to it. I don't want to take away. I don't want to embellish the truth. But man, I I want to be filled with peacefulness. We ought to gauge and we ought to Certainly look for that. Matthew 5, what did the Lord say in verse number 9? He said, blessed. Some folks say blessed. Blessed means happy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Boy, it's good for folks to... Now, Absalom, couldn't Absalom would have missed the target on truthfulness. He'd have missed the target on righteousness. He certainly would have missed the target on peacefulness because he plotted had his brother killed. But thank God it's good to have peace in your heart with God. Nothing better than the peace that passed all understood between peace and God, but it's also good to have peace with your brothers, Amen, Amen. and sisters in the Lord. He said, "Blessed, in other happy are the peacemakers." You know, there are some folks that are known. Now, listen, you, I, you know, this is right. Some folks are known for their pot stirring capabilities. Amen. 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 That's right. Amen. You say, "Well, now what is What is a?" What is a pot stirring? Brother Wayne said one time, one time ago, we were going into prayer or something, we need somebody to stir the pot out there in the chicken. See, that's the only good time for for church folk to stir pots. Amen. When it comes to cooking. But there's some folks that's got the testimony of a pot stir. And see what happens is folks learn not to tell them anything. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help us right here. truthfulness. Peacefulness—that ought to be something that we look for. You know, we ought not be a fire starter. We ought to be a fire extinguisher. Amen. Some folks say, "Well, they come to me all the time." La 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 la. Let's go. You might be a fire starter. You become a fire extinguisher, and you put those fires out. They're going to quit coming to you because they ain't got a listening ear. Amen. Yep, man. <laughs> A wolf will always go to a wolf. Seemed like I hit that not long ago. Maybe there's something right here. A wolf will never go to a sheep other than to devour it. A wolf will always run to a wolf. Friend, our character ought to be based upon righteousness. Amen. Truthfulness and peacefulness. I want to be known as a peace bearer. I don't want to be a pot stirrer. I don't want to be a fire starter. I want to be a fire extinguisher. You know, there's (laughs) there's some folks that just love drama. I despise it, man. Some folks just live to keep stuff stirred. Who wants that? Man, thank God for the peace we have with God, but you ought to want to have peace with one another. But some folks ain't satisfied and happy unless they got some drama going on. We'd be a lot better off. If we got that. State. If we was peaceful, I'm moving on. Hey, listen. What should we be gauged on? What do we should aspire? Listen, Absalom had a lack of character. It didn't matter. He was gauged on his status and his wealth and his good looks. The character was thrown out the window. But thank God for that righteous crowd, that truthfulness crowd, and that peacefulness crowd. But think about this. What about that tastefulness crowd? We ought to be gauged on tastefulness. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, this might get a little hard right here for a minute, but just hang on. First Timothy chapter two this is what God said in verse number nine. And ten, in like manner, also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. And we're talking about tastefulness now. You say when well, this ain't the nineteen fifties, it don't matter. It don't matter if it's two thousand fifty or or two thousand twenty three. This is what God said. There ought to be some tastefulness. Men and women. You see, a lot of folks look, they want to see skin. <laughs> Bible talks about modesty, being tasteful. What in the world ever happened to decency? I'm talking about men and women. First Timothy two and verse nine, like when also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair. Or gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now, what God is basically laying out there, and it can be applied today, it's not bringing attention unto yourself. Some folks desire attention to be brought unto their self. We ought not do that, men or women. Amen. There ought to be some tasteful. Well, preacher, you just don't know the culture and the society in which we live in. I understand the peer pressure's there, that they want to be that. They want to reach that status. They want to reach that wealth. They want to have those good looks, those folks that they consider cool. But, friend, I'm going to tell you, for the child of God, they ought to be some righteousness. they ought to be some truthfulness. they ought to be some peacefulness. And they ought to be some tastefulness in our appearance. Hey, friend, we represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Some folks said, man, why? in the world, do you wear a suit? Have you ever turned on the news? you ever see those news anchors? They ain't there with flip flops and some little old t-shirt. They got a suit and tie on and they got a message to tell. Well listen friend, I got a message to tell that's greater than any story. The greatest story that's ever been told. I want to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords the best I can with what God has given me. Now listen, I ain't got a whole lot of hire, but I can still be decent. I can still be tasteful and that's what God expects of us. I'm moving on. Thank God for righteousness and truthfulness and peacefulness and, and tastefulness. I'm about done. Y'all been patient. What about cheerfulness? <laughs> cheerfulness. We ought to gauge, folks, and we ought to aspire to be ourselves. Now, listen, this is in reference to giving, and I'm not going to tarry here long, but it says 2 Corinthians 9 and verse number 7, Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God talks about giving cheerfully, but here's the key to this. If we're cheerful, Brother Harold, everybody's going to know it. But here's also a key, Brother Travis, if we're not cheerful, folks are also going to know it. Amen. Now, I like being around cheerful people. I do. Why is that? Because it helps you. And if you're around somebody with the mully grubs all the time that's been eating on a, on a, on a sour pickle or, or lemon juice, and you got the poochie lip, yeah, the poochie lip. Me and Gracie, we'll talk, but she ain't in her. She's in children's church today, but she'll go around, she'll stick it. Oh, got poochy, poochie limb. A lot of God's people got the poochy limb. They do. Man, we ought to be the most vibrant people there are with what God's done for us. You say, well, preacher, i got a lot of trouble in my life. Well, just join the crowd, man. Bible said, Proverbs 14, verse 1, or Job 14, one man that's born of a woman is a few days full of trouble. There's troubles for all of us, but you and I can still be cheerful as a child of God. Hey, thank God, this ain't the end of the line. When I leave out of here, I'm going to a place, Abraham, who's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I'm going over there, not because I deserve it, not because I, 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 I earned it. I'm going because of grace, God. God save my unworthy soul one day and I'm going there because of him. Least I can do is at least be a little cheerful down here. Amen. Now why should I be cheerful as a child of God? Well, why should somebody want what you got? We got lost people on the workforce. You got lost people in your family. If you're always griping and complaining about things you think they go, they don't see no, they don't see no light shining in the world. They sure ain't gonna get it from you. Amen. We ought to have. That cheerfulness, I'm moving now, True righteousness, truthfulness, peacefulness, tastefulness, cheerfulness. But what about, this? What about thankfulness? <laughs> thankfulness, just being thankful. You go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 2. It talks about in the last days perilous times shall come. And they began to describe that day. And one of those is disobedient to parents. Boy, we're there. And unthankful. Unthankfulness. But listen, 1 Thessalonians five eighteen still in the Bible, said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We ought to have a spirit of thankfulness. We ought to, you ought to be gauged on that. Not, not wealth, not social status, man, not, not good looks, but on these principles. You say, Well, those principles are long gone. You, you might not, there's still some folks that's got these principles, thank God. Righteousness, truthfulness. There was a time when you didn't have to have a legal document. You could shake a man's hand. There's folks even right now that I know. I don't even have to shake their hand. I can ask them if it's within their power they're going to do it. And I try to be the same way to them. Thank God because they've got that truthfulness in them. That They've got that character of righteousness and truthfulness and peacefulness and tastefulness, cheerfulness, thankfulness. But what about this last one? What about kindness? Kindness. Kindness is something that we need. You know, I think people are drawn to that, to the kindness of folks. Now listen, there's a lot of people who may say, oh yeah, the preacher's man. Listen, I, I just it's my responsibility to preach to myself. God's done dealt with me on these messages, and I I can't expect God to help anybody unless God helps me. But understand when you think of this, a lot of folks may say, Oh, the preacher, he ain't real, real kind. But listen, I love you. And God loves you. But we've got to be kind unto people. Man, I've said this for years. It's been one of my mottos in ministry. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You invest in people's lives. You invest individually, especially uh, in the ministry of some kind. you got to invest in lives. Are people going to make mistakes? Absolutely, but you are too. Amen. We're all in this thing together, but we got to be kind. The Bible said in Ephesians 4, and verse number 32, And be ye kind one to another tenderhearted forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you now think about that word kind you know what it means that word kind literally means employed and useful what's that mean e- employed and useful in that context of Ephesians 4 verse number 2, and be ye kind in other words be employed and useful one to another being kind to people you know it doesn't take much to say a kind words somebody brother Harold amen doesn't take much just to just to try to lift somebody up. Be cheerful the best you can. To have that righteous attitude, that truthful, that tastefulness, all of that, but to be kind. Sister Savannah's coming, I'm closing with this Friday. Friday I had and these new cell phones, I guess they're great, but they sure don't last long. <laughs> Friday afternoon I I could see to I could see I was getting a text, Brother Kevin. But I couldn't do anything. I noticed at the top it said invalid SIM card. Well, I hadn't messed with it. Me, I took the the protector thing off and got one of those little needles to pull that thing out and everything looked good. I'd put it in and externally it just, it wouldn't work. So I thought, man, I got to do something and I had several texts and I couldn't respond back. So I went down there to the Verizon And I had to get a brand new phone. Man, sit and wait for all that stuff. What a blessing that is. I probably wasn't the most cheerful person while all that was going on. But it's one of those necessary evils, you know. But you know what? I got that phone, I got to think about this. I gotta think about this to let this sink in. I had something that the problem was on the inside. The phone, you could see it, you could push the buttons, but you really couldn't do anything because the problem was on the inside. But once they switched that phone, that little SIM card, little old bitty-doo-dad that you put in there, that's what makes it run, the whole thing work. You got that big phone at your disposal, but it ain't going to work if there's an internal problem. Preacher, I have trouble with righteousness. I have trouble with truth. I have trouble with being thankful. I have trouble with, with stirring pots and wanting drama. I'm always around it. I'm always in the middle of it. I have a problem with being kind to people. I have a problem being thankful. And all these, I have a problem being cheerful. It ain't an external problem. There's something on the inside. But here's the good news. I'm glad we know the antidote. We know the remedy. His name is Jesus. Above all today, if you're not saved, you need to get saved. But listen, don't let... Don't let status, don't let wealth, don't let good looks be what drives us. Let righteousness, truthfulness, tastefulness, all those things, per- per- peacefulness and cheerfulness, thankfulness, kindness, let all those things richly dwell in us. And one day we'll be glad that we did. Let's pray. Father, we sure do love you. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, just to bow in your presence, God, one more time. Thank you for the good word of God. I've done my best. Lord, to deliver the message of the hour. I pray, God, that our hearts wouldn't just be challenged, I pray, God, they'd be changed. I pray for that one today that's struggling in an area that, Lord, maybe was hit. And, Lord, it's, it's not an external problem. It's an internal problem. God, would you deal with hearts above all if there's one lost? God, help them come receive Christ today. Lord, I know you'll knock numerous times. Lord, I know there's times you may even set the field on fire, thing that's precious to them to get their attention. I pray to all the will of God be done during this invitation time. We're going to give you thanks, praise for what you do, If we ask these things in Jesus' name. We Hello friends, this is Brian Pondexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church located at 2216 Hiddings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service and to encourage the elderly and shut ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service and every second Sunday night of each month we have what's called an eat and meet service. After our 6 p.m. service we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays We meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's Holy Word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation, they prepare for retirement, they seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday, for the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans three twenty-three said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Prophet Isaiah said in chapter fifty three and verse six, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words and good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse six says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you are loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, they said, neither is there salvation in any other for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16 verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house.